Hello, everyone. Great to be live again. Well, an interesting discussion was started on my Instagram the other day as to whether back the blue was a psychological operation, a psyop all along to get people to support police and believe that they're perhaps more noble than they are. Now, I think there are a lot of noble officers and there's also a lot of scummy officers. So it's a big conversation to have. But let's dive into this as well as the latest news in regards to police government control and the removing of of your rights and freedoms. There's a lot of updates today. So this discussion was first started um, by a Maggie McCarthy in Arizona. I don't actually know her, but someone shared this post with me where she said, quote, I now believe the whole back the blue campaign was a psyop. They got conservatives to feel bad for cops and to throw their support behind them. Meanwhile, cops have been weaponized against conservatives and patriot and patriot movements across the country to target us and to implement tyrannical and unconstitutional mandates and orders. So I asked my viewers on Instagram, do you think back the blue is a psyop? And 76% said, yes, they think back the blue is a psyop. 24% disagreed and did not think so. One of my viewers gave um, interesting insight. He said, my answer is a bit nuanced. I don't disagree with her last paragraph. It's very clear that cops have been absolutely weaponized against conservatives. We saw this take place on January 6th. That being said, it's not easy being a cop nowadays. Politicians disarm you even before you get on the job, and the left encourages confrontation with cops. So invariably, every interaction with someone is a potential powder keg situation. So, And, and I think that's great insight, me having been around cops a lot as a crime reporter these past few years have been absolutely demoralizing for police because they they are being told by their higher-ups to violate people's constitutional rights more and more. And then they're also being disarmed and demonized. And audiences are made to believe that the cops are out to kill every black person, things like that that aren't, aren't actually true. So... Um, Interesting situation, and I'm going to dive into this before we get fully into it. Shout out to the sponsor of my coverage. A new study confirms older looking faces are rated as less attractive than younger looking faces. The study goes on to explain that older looking faces are treated as a category when making aesthetic judgments, and that unfortunately for women, men distinguish more clearly between faces when judging attractiveness, especially so for female faces. The older you look, the tougher it will be for you in the dating market and harder it will be to find the love of your life, according if this study's right. Luckily, this new invention is helping women all over the world by helping them reduce dark spots, sagging skin, and crow's feet. The new product is rising in popularity for delivering a boost of youthfulness to your user's skin using this rejuvenating serum can provide smoother, firmer, younger looking skin in as little as seven days. You may not even recognize yourself in the mirror. I, I use this. I like it. Ageless glow. It's got natural ingredients. Love it. This, um, if this sounds like something that you want to try, don't wait because they have sold out previously and it can take a while to restock. I'm warning you, uh, right now in case you go to their site and see sold out. So if you want it, grab it now. Plus I've been able to grab my audience up to 38% off when you click my link down in description, special link for you guys to get the discount. It is glowwithivory.com to get this ageless glow for yourself. So what do you guys think? Uh, is it a, is back the blue psychological operation? Now, let me just say that in my many moons, exactly nine years in corporate news that I did, there was definitely an established narrative in the newsrooms uh, and I worked in four plus corporate newsrooms and whenever there was a story to celebrate cops and, and make them look like a hero, um, we would do that. There was definitely a back the blue narrative in newsrooms 
even amid the development of an anti-cop narrative as well. As the years progressed, these parallel narratives in newsrooms came of like, okay, here's a story where we're going to demonize cops uh, because we're going to assume that the cop was racist against this guy without having further data. And then, oh, here's a story where we're just going to say all cops are heroes regardless of, of who, who they are. So it was, it was interesting. And also the word of the police was taken as gospel, whatever police say is gospel. So it seems more and more that police are becoming yes men. Um, I mean, they've always been trained to follow orders, right? They just have to follow orders, whether they, whether they agree with it or not. And so I think this is part of why we're seeing more and more cops resign is that they are being told to violate people's constitutional rights uh, and they're not comfortable with that. And more and more, they're also unjustly being demonized um, because one narrative says that they're racist no matter what. Um, the pandemic was an interesting situation because you cops were were being told to shut shut people down arrest them for ridiculous reasons like not wearing a mask oh this this person is in this public space not wearing a mask so we're going to arrest them we've seen videos of that um and then the police had to get that needle in the arm whether they agreed with it or not so um over the years more and more officers have dropped off the force. A lot of the officers who dropped off the force were the ones who thought for themselves, stood on their own principles, maybe valued the constitution a little bit more than others. Maybe they had a little bit more courage to stand up and more and more police that are left the bigger, a bigger and bigger percentage on the police force may or may not be yes men. Okay. Who, are still there because they're cowards because they didn't want to stand up for their own values. Of course, not speaking about everyone, but the more we look into the Uvalde police response to the mass shooting at that Rob elementary school, the more it seems like we had a group of cowards, especially the leadership. Um, the breaking news coming out in the past day is that the police chief there who was in charge of the incident, of the response, has now been put on leave from CNN here, Uvalde School. Police chief is suspended after weeks of brewing anger over botched response to the gunmen. That is uh, Chief Arredondo. Let me show you guys. Um, I'm not sure if you guys know the latest updates, but he, he kind of said, well, I'm not sure I was in charge. I don't know who was in charge. I don't think it was me. You don't think it was you. People on the scene, officers on the scene were recorded saying you're in charge. This footage right here, this is the Texas Tribune, 12.04 p.m. on the day of the shooting. This is 31 minutes after the shooter walked in and opened fire. And the officers go on to wait for another 45 minutes after, after this picture is taken, the officers well armed, better armed than the gunmen. They, they don't do anything. They sit there like cowards in the corner of the elementary school, blaming the fact that they don't have a key to get in to the room where the killer is slaughtering children. He opened fire. Um, I believe it was, after the initial uh, spray of gunfire that he did, it was three or four more times. He, he would wait, you know, several minutes and then he'd start shooting again. And police would just sit there in the corner like cowards, cowards at either end of the hallway. And we're just waiting for the gunman to come out. Well, he was never coming out. He just kept firing more and more after several minutes. My thought is, was this, was he opening fire again because he saw a body move there? You know, he had shot these people and then he sees them move. They, they're not dead yet. So he shoots them again. Um, how many more lives could have been saved had police had courage in this incident? Reading the details of this is absolutely horrifying. 
uh, the Robb Elementary School shooting very well documented in this Texas Tribune story. They say that the gunman entered the school at 11.33 a.m. on May 24th. You hear a lot of threes. So 11.33, he enters the school, which is five minutes after he crashed his truck outside. Now, in the first three minutes after entering at 11.33, he just sprays these two classrooms with bullets he, he easily walked into the classroom. The door wasn't locked. He walks right in. You can see on the surveillance footage, according to Texas Tribune, shoots up the room. That classroom's connected to another one. So he goes into the other classroom, shoots that one up for three minutes. He's just spraying these rooms with bullets. During those same three minutes, three police officers enter the school as he is opening fire. That is how quickly police responded. You see, when he crashed his truck outside, he was shooting his gun. As soon as he crashed the truck, he starts opening fire outside. He marches into the school and is shooting, shooting, randomly shooting his gun in the hallway before even entering. He's made it clear he's here to wreak havoc. And so police quickly responded. Those first three minutes that he was slaughtering children, three officers had entered the building. Um, with by by seven minutes later, eleven officers were inside, and at least two of them had these rifles that you see here. Yet, the cowardly police chief, uh, Pete Arredondo, I guess his name is, uh, is is calling dispatch and saying, you know, we we just don't have the arms to come after this guy. He, you know, he's got an AR-15. We've just got pistols. No, according to Texas Tribune's review of the surveillance footage, there were at least two rifles, not to mention 11 officers against one 18-year-old. And look at the helmets and vests they're wearing. Um, yet this man kept making excuses for... An hour and 17 minutes, according to Texas Tribune. I, I think uh, I think this is him, the police chief. He was inside there. He, he was one of the first 11 people to come inside. Here is the police chief, and now he's he's been put on leave. At first, he was saying, yeah, we, we need better guns. Um, now we need a key. We just don't have a key to get in. Uh, well, how the heck did the shooter get in? He waltzed right in. The front entrance wasn't locked. The classroom door wasn't locked. And the uh, classroom door, according to New York Times, was supposed to be automatically locked. When you shut it, it locks. But the New York Times reports that Prior to this shooting, a teacher had requested that the door be fixed because it had an issue where when it closes, it doesn't close all the way. You have to shove it in order to get it to latch. And once it latches, then it locks. So that is how the shooter was able to come right into that door. Now, how did the shooter find the door that had the issue? Because I'm assuming that if, if that classroom door was set to automatically lock that all classroom doors were set to automatically lock. So how did he magically find the one classroom door that stays ajar so he could go on in? Anyway, the head of the state police, uh, this headline from New York times calls response to Uvalde shooting an abject failure. He was testifying before the Texas Senate to, uh, this week. And, um, it's pretty pretty disgraceful that the officers put their lives ahead of the lives of the children when they were better armed than this single gunman. They left him in there with vulnerable children for over an hour. Um, here's what the uh, Steve, Stephen McCroff and the state police had to say. There's compelling evidence that the law enforcement response to the attack at Robb Elementary was an abject failure and antithetical to everything we've learned over the last two decades since the Columbine massacre. 
Three minutes after the subject entered the West Building, there was sufficient number of armed officers wearing body armor to isolate, distract, and neutralize the subject. The only thing stopping a hallway of dedicated officers from entering room 111 and 112 was the on-scene commander, who decided to place the lives of officers before the lives of children. The officers had weapons, the children had none. The officers had body armor, the children had none. The officers had training, the subject had none. One error, 14 minutes and eight seconds. That's how long the children waited and the teachers waited in rooms 111 to be rescued. Yeah, so reviewing the timeline, I really think that a lot of lives would have been saved had police had some courage. So it's an absolute disgrace. And then, you know, was it, was it courage or did they have orders from someone else to stand down? Why on earth did border patrol get involved? So Texas state police were there first. It was the Uvalde police and the Uvalde school district police. Then, um, Texas state police came in the D- DPS and, Officers there were seen saying, state police were seen saying, why aren't you guys going to the classroom? I really think this is a situation where you should go in the classroom and save these kids. And they would not. Um, They were waiting for orders from someone, even though the school police chief was there. So who were they waiting for orders on? Then the border patrol finally storms in and takes down the gunmen. blows him up with bullets and, and then comes out and that's when the little kids start being carried out. But why was border patrol involved? No, those are, those are the federal agents. So they waited for, you know, state police were saying, well, I guess the school district's in charge and the school district police were not doing anything. I guess they were waiting on federal agents, um, good old Alejandro Mayorkas's people. Um, so I don't know, was, was the chief of the school district police receiving orders to stand down from, from Alejandro Mayorkas's people or what? But for some reason they've waited for border patrol and there's no word on why border patrol would come in to begin with because normally border patrol is manning the border, not going into schools where presumably there's no border breaches in an elementary school. Why did border, why was border patrol a part of this? You know, so it's really weird, but it's interesting uh, in the Texas Tribune's coverage, they say that the shooter was actually planning this since, um, October of 2021, when he was 17, he dropped out of school and spent the next few months buying, ordering some special gear uh, to arm himself, um, some tactic, like a tactical vest and some things. And then in April, he started buying ammunition because initially people were like, how did this kid afford all this ammunition? Um, so quickly, well, he, he had been planning it for months according to this coverage. And then April buys up the ammunition, had to wait till he was 18 to buy the AR 15s, I guess. So on his birthday at 18 in May, he buys the AR 15 and then May 14th, he writes on his Instagram 10 more days. That's all he wrote allegedly. And then the 24th is when he opens fire 10 days later. So he was dropping these hints on social media that he was going to do this. Um, this, this is the most evil mind you can think of someone who, you know, this was clearly an intentional, well-planned out thing where he wanted to kill children for months. This is very dark evil. And, um, the fact that police stood by like cowards listening to kids get shot. They listened multiple times as this guy opens fire, shooting into the kids again, and they did nothing. Just looking at this coverage is absolutely despicable. 
And they knew that the kids and the teachers were in there because uh, there's this uh, this coverage, um, today.com, Today Show, slain Yavali teacher's husband tried to save his wife but was detained, had gun taken away. So this teacher on the right, her husband was a police officer. He was in there. He's in the school with the other cowardly officers. And he said, hey, my wife says she, she's shot and she's bleeding out and she's dying we got to go in. And they apparently wrestled him down, took away his gun and escorted him out. The one man with the courage to actually go through that door because his own wife was dying. Another one of the officer's child was in there dying and that officer didn't even go in. What on earth is happening? But I think from the transcripts as written in Texas Tribune, some of these officers wanted to but their orders were to stand down and they've been trained and programmed for years to be yes men. So um, that's where we get back to backing the blue as heroes when they are just yes men and are police comfortable, are officers comfortable being yes men. Um, when this story first broke, the governor of Texas came out and called the police heroes who valiantly went through those doors and took down the shooter. And when we get into the intricate details, it's not turning out to be that these people were heroic at all. So those first three officers that stormed in, I mentioned, the shooter actually shot at them. They were initially going towards the door. He shot through and grazed two of them with bullets. And after that, the cowardice seemed to kick in and these guys just stayed, stayed in the corner. Um, so that's not heroic. And the governor was reciting lines saying that this was heroic. And in my coverage of crime, a lot of times it's really hard to understand what actually happened. Like the only reason we know all these details is there was a surveillance camera in the hallway that a media outlet was able to review. Uh, but still Texas Tribune didn't put out the surveillance footage. I'm not sure why I'm assuming that law enforcement didn't want them to release it, but just said they could review it and write about what they saw. So there's a lot of, there's a lack of transparency, but at least we're able to see what actually happened. Now, a lot of times with law enforcement response situations, there's no surveillance footage. So you have to take law enforcement's word for it. And of course, law enforcement is always going to make themselves out to be heroes. And the media just recites what that law, law enforcement officer said. And so, you know, when the Texas governor said, Hey, these guys are heroes, they barged in and took down the gunmen. I, I believed it. And I, I recited what the governor said and was like, oh yeah, you know, thank, thank God for these heroes taking down this creep. And turns out they actually left those people to die for over an hour. So this potential psychological operation that goes down in the media, you know, it may just be the simple fact that law enforcement it is always going to make itself look good when talking to the media about how it handled the crime and the media can't see exactly what happened itself. So it takes law enforcement's word for it. And then law enforcement always ends up looking better than they actually were in that situation. Oh, by the way, I was looking, uh, looking up psychological operations. Guess what? The army is hiring. If you want to, be a soldier who conducts psyops. The army is hiring psychological operators. Look at that. Get up to 50,000 in enlistment bonuses. This is goarmy.com. Get up to 25,000 in quick ship bonuses. Uh, it says here, psyop soldiers strategically influence and deceive psychological operations. Soldiers benefit the army's mission by using unconventional techniques Guys, this is just the U.S. Army's website. PSYOPs are, are a real thing. Now, 
let me just say that there are a lot of very noble cops too. Of course, there's a lot of cowards out there, but there's a lot of very brave cops and I'm not going to throw everyone under the bus. I think there are too many yes men, but let's look at, you know, fighting crime sucks. You know, there are a lot of evil criminals. I don't know if you guys saw this from earlier this month, but the video of the hatchet man in Illinois, I have got to show you guys this. So in an instant, you know, this cop is conducting what appears to be a routine traffic stop and an unassociated car pulls up and the man just barges at the cop with a hatchet. The cop responds in a split second to defend himself. It's crazy. Why are you? Why are you? Woo. Okay. Let's go to the full thing here. All right. You can take a picture and send it to me. Look at that hatchet. I just been attacked. I just shots fired. Shots fired. There's another camera angle. Totally uninvolved car. Allegedly. Look at this guy. Jumps out with that hatchet. Look at that, dude. It's like, how did the any officer... loss of life is tragic and our thoughts? That's the police chief. Um, that was um, uh, Naperville, Illinois. So, gosh, how did the officer even see the hatchet? Or I, he probably just saw this man barging at him and he just shot um, really, really scary stuff. So police, um, you know, they are in super dangerous situations all the time. And a lot of them are heroes. OK, but a lot are not. And a lot of them are also having to operate with their hands behind, tied behind their back, so to speak. I mean, look at NPR's report. Chicago police will no longer be allowed to chase people on foot. Chicago police officers will no longer be allowed to chase people on foot simply because they run away or they've committed minor offenses. The department said Tuesday, more than a year after two foot pursuits ended with officers fatally shooting a 13-year-old boy and a 22-year-old man. So you can't even chase suspects anymore. So uh, it's like, how do you fight crime? So um, officers are being put in really tough situations. It reminds me when I worked in college, I worked in retail at a clothing store. And we were told if we saw someone shoplifting, we couldn't grab the clothing that they were lifting. So some someone can mosey out the door with this garment in hand and I can't grab the garment. You know, it's like, I can't even fight shoplifting as someone who works there. So, um, it's interesting. I want to show you guys perspective on, on these police who I, I showed this in an earlier episode Police who agree with the citizens that they are harming, yet they are just taking orders. They're just yes men. Here it is. If you've had enough of matches, ask why you're still enforcing the boys. You have to. What? No, 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 you don't have to. This is what, listen, we're not here to argue with you unless go home. Otherwise, they start issuing tickets. Right. We don't want to do it, but we will do it. What? He's like, we don't want to do it, but we will do it. You know, And he goes on to say, like, we agree with you. And it's like, really? So why the heck? And obviously this is in another country. I couldn't tell if that was an English accent or what accent that was. But it's, you know, officers in America have been told to do the same thing. And this is from the episode where I interviewed Officer Greg Anderson. And he was like, dude, I'm going to take a stand and I'm going to say, do not, you know, tram- I- I'm not going to be a yes man and trample over citizens' constitutional rights just because I want to keep my paycheck as a cop. And so he called it out on Instagram, got fired for it. Here serve public and, and stand on the side of right. And so inside of that video, I literally said, hey, if standing up for what you know to be morally and ethically correct ends up costing you your job, then so be it. We need to make sure that we don't waver, 
There's not two sides to this argument. There's not a discussion to be had. We swore an oath to defend and uphold people's constitutional rights. So that's that's what it comes down to. And instead, we have FBI agents busting down journalist stores, like we saw with Project Veritas. And we have, you know, in in certain in Florida, we had a a pastor arrested during the lockdown during the pandemic because he wanted to hold church. Uh, Dr. Uh, uh, Pastor Rodney, I uh, forget his last name. And it's like, well, these police, what are they doing? Project Veritas, uh, getting their door busted down here. I'm sorry, so what is this regarding? What you're about to see is very disturbing. Yeah, so search warrant, they bust down these people's door at like 4 a.m., um, because they need to search for Ashley Biden's diary. Why is the FBI involved in a lost diary? Um, apparently the word is that Ashley Biden's diary was, um, she had, she had been at a halfway house. She left it behind when she moved out of the halfway house. It was found like under a mattress and the person who found it then brought it to project Veritas who, uh, the reports are the Project Veritas paid $40,000 to obtain the diary, look through it, but then never reported on it because they didn't think stuff was that newsworthy. But one little nugget that someone else found in the diary was that Ashley Biden was talking about her screwed up sex life. And she was speculating on why she was addicted to sex. And she was wondering if showers with her dad contributed to that as a child. Um, she, she said that she did used to shower with her dad as a little kid. And those showers were probably inappropriate. It was just a brief message and the, uh, mention. And then she goes on to talk about becoming sexually active at a very young age and all these personal struggles. And Clearly, you know, going through therapy, she was being told to write out her feelings about what's wrong with her. And I think Project Veritas just thought it was way too personal. And she was pretty vague about the thing with Joe Biden. But now it's coming out big after Tucker Carlson was like, hey, you know, you're an alleged pedophile, Joe Biden. And uh, Tucker Carlson recently highlighted the findings of that diary. And uh, so now it's all up in the news again, but she didn't say that he, that her dad had done anything um, sexual to her, just that her showers with her dad were probably inappropriate. She did later say in the diary that she was um, closer with her dad, that her mom was really cold and her dad actually seemed to care about her. So it seemed in the diary that she had a good relationship with her dad. Thanks for the super chat. Um, Quote, take a look at the similar things happening in all of these events and the destruction of these schools by the states. It's just really interesting, um, the timing of this shooting at Uvalde and then the instant jump to gun legislation. And I want to uh, review what the big stuff that's happening in the Senate, the U.S. Senate. Um, before that, I, I got to highlight that, look, the government, government agencies are arming themselves. Well, of course we know the military is armed, but did you know the IRS is armed? IRS taxes. Why are IRS buying 700,000 in ammo? A new report says, and they quote a recent conversation that Congressman Matt Gates had on Fox news um, he said, it's certainly, it's troubling that in 2022 alone, the IRS has spent around 725,000 in ammunition. Um, he said, call me old fashioned, but I thought the heaviest artillery an IRS agent would have would be a calculator. And G- Gates said, so he, here's the Biden plan, disarm America, open the border, empty the prisons, but rest assured, they're still they'll still collect your taxes, and they need seven hundred twenty-five thousand dollars worth of ammunition, apparently, to get the job done. According to Gates, the IRS spent eleven million dollars in ammunition in the last decade. There are previous reports on this. Um, 
But the IRS being armed with AR-15s in case they don't pay your taxes, what, they're going to show up with an AR-15? Wall Street Journal here, why does the IRS need guns? After grabbing legal power, bureaucrats are amassing firepower. It's time to scale back the federal arsenal. An opinion piece here on Wall Street Journal. Um, This was back in 2016. They said special agents at the IRS equipped with AR-15 military style rifles, health and human services special office of inspector general agents being trained by the Army Special Forces contractors, the Department of Veterans Affairs, arming 3,700 employees. Um, it's interesting they mention health and human services. That's the CDC and the FDA, you guys. Uh, health and human services, they've been training special forces within the health department as far back as 2016. In a militant way, why do, why do health officials need to be militant? This was being highlighted in 2016. What were they preparing for? This is all quite concerning. So, so government agents are armed well, yet the American people are not supposed to be armed any, uh, as much anymore. Um, sweeping new gun legislation that violate, violates your Second Amendment rights. I want to highlight um, the update uh, from CBS today. And pay attention to the 15 Republicans who voted to violate your Second Amendment right, which says shall not infringe. They are voting to infringe in the Senate. Looks like this is actually going to pass. They have enough Republicans to go to overcome the filibuster. CBS breaks it down here. Pay attention to the senators. If they're in your state, even if they're not in your state, you can write them a letter and tell them whether you agree or not. The first time in decades, this bill expands the category of Americans who are prohibited from owning guns. Tell us what's in this bill. Well, John, when you look at this bill in its entirety, as you mentioned, if this does indeed pass, this would be the most sweeping uh, changes to gun laws that we've seen in decades. And there are a few things in the bill right now that both sides uh, of the gun debate are, are looking at pretty closely. One, as you alluded to, um, what it does is it uh, closes, perhaps not completely, but at least in part, what people refer to as the boyfriend loophole. And what that means is, uh, you know, right now, if you are convicted, if you're convicted of domestic violence uh, against somebody with your spouse or somebody you live with or somebody you have children with, there are federal laws that bar you uh, from, from purchasing a gun. Um, but if it's a relationship outside of those bounds, then there is no law for that. This does expand that. We also see money in this bill for mental health programs, money for school security, and money that states can use uh, to implement uh, what are known as red flag laws. These are laws that uh, would prevent people who are deemed dangerous from having firearms. This is something that gun control advocates have... Deemed dangerous? Who's time. dangerous? So, you know, it doesn't have uh, everything that Democrats who have been pushing on this issue for a long time uh, have called for. This is not a bill that would ban assault weapons, not a bill that would ban high-capacity ammunition magazines. Um, But when you hear from some of the Democrats, particularly who've been pushing on this for a long time, they say, look, this is not nothing. We can get something done. This would be a step uh, in the right direction at their view. The art of the possible. So 14 Republican senators sided with the Democrats to move this forward. What are the, how would you categorize those 14 Republicans? Yeah, it's interesting. It's sort of a mix. You have some senators who are not facing re-election, so they don't face pressures back home from a Republican base or a Republican primary. Uh, it is notable that Mitch McConnell, the top Republican in the Senate, the minority Kentucky. leader, supported this bill, even though the majority of the Republican conference did not. Senator John Cornyn, a senator from Texas, a state where gun rights uh, are very important, also supported this bill. He's taken some criticism for that, um, Lisa Murkowski is another one who's interesting. She is up for re-election this year. So there we go. We've got red states like Kentucky, Texas, um, Alaska voting to violate your Second Amendment rights. Here are the 14 Republicans, uh, rhinos, saying, you know what? We we don't trust you with your gun. If you're deemed, you know, vaguely deemed dangerous, we may or may not take away your gun. And the DHS, Department of Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas, they've made very clear over the course of the pandemic with many bulletins about who they deem dangerous. They deem people who disagree with uh, lockdowns and stripping away your freedom and encroachment um, associated with health. So 
government saying we know better than you about your health. If you resist that, you're deemed dangerous um, and you may get put on a terrorist watch list if you keep talking on social media about how you disagree with these uh, government health-related restrictions during the pandemic. In addition, in his bulletin, he talked about people who disagree with um, the election. Maybe these people have seen evidence that was quickly censored by social media that, that showed there were a lot of screwy anomalies with that election back in 2020. And if you say that you think something's fishy with elections in America, you're also a security concern. So I'm thinking you'll, you'll be on one of these, uh, you'll, you'll be red flagged if you think these things based, based on how our department of Homeland security is writing about domestic terrorism right now. So the red flag law is very, very concerning. So, you know, just seeing, seeing the way that, Things are all going down. It's not a time to to surrender your guns because the government is acting really screwy. And the, the whole reason the Second Amendment was put in place was to protect the citizens, um, protect the citizens against the government. Okay, I mean there's a there's a positive update this same day out of New York uh, where the Supreme Court said, hey, New York, you're violating citizens' Second Amendment rights. Okay, we've got this Supreme Court gun decision shoots, uh, shoots down New York rule that set high bar for concealed carry licenses. So to apply for a concealed carry permit in New York, you were supposed to give like a good reason and wanting to defend yourself was not considered a good reason in New York. So they had these vague, um, this vague rule where the person up issuing the license could give out a license if they feel, feel like it or not. And so that was deemed um, unconstitutional. So that's good. But if you're putting red flag laws in place nationally, instead, I think that, you know, this little victory for the second amendment doesn't really matter. You know, if, if a red flag law is going to be passed now. So I want to update you guys on Joe Biden. Um, he is not done with this whole pandemic business. He really enjoyed the government power during the pandemic. And look, not enough people got the needle. So we got to have another, uh, we got to have another pandemic. And I don't know, he, he's talking in the soundbite about, uh, about the second pandemic coming. Meanwhile, you know, they just authorized the needle for little kids as young as six months. And I think I'm getting a vibe that not a lot of parents are sending their, their six month olds to get the needle. I mean, life is back to normal. We're not, you know, we're not hearing about a lot of sick people. Life is good. And so why would you rush your child in to get a needle, especially when it's been reported that this is an illness that impacts the elderly. So I'm wondering if that is why if Biden is trying to create more hype, to get uh, to get little kids needles because they're trying to get America to a hundred percent and they're far off from that right now. Here's Biden talking. This How much of the supply of vaccines for these small children uh, is there and, and how many of the nation's kids will you be able to get vaccinated before you need more money uh, from Congress? Well, we'll get through at least this year. We, we do need more money. But we don't just need more money for vaccines for children eventually. We need more money to plan for the second pandemic. There's going to be another pandemic. We have to think ahead. The second pandemic. I mean, he put out a memo. What was it last month? I covered it on my show um, saying that another, you know, another pandemic's coming and that it's going to be 100 million sick people in America this fall he was he actually went into specific details like that and so and then he had his press secretary saki at the time say yeah you know the president's saying there's going to be a lot of needless deaths so they're they're still putting out this hysteria narrative but americans aren't seeming to buy it at this point um i will say that um a couple of ladies i know went on a cruise recently and they you had to be fully needled with, I guess, all three needles and get tested before you get on the ship. 
Well, they came back from that ship with the illness. They had caught the illness on the ship when they were done with their cruise. So what's going on with cruise ships? Is that like where the illness just starts? Because everyone, every, everyone was tested before getting on. They had all, all their needles and then they get on, they get sick. They come off the ship and, and hopefully didn't spread it to anyone. Um, but so those, that's the most recent case of the illness, but we're not hearing, you know, the illness rate is way down. The pandemic's, you know, pretty much over. I think we have um, herd immunity at this point, which is something you don't really talk about talk about. Anyway, so there the press uh the White House had a big press conference today about the needle for for 6 month old kids. It's interesting that they had to call something special for it. I like I said I just don't think parents are rushing out to get their kids the needle. But I was curious, I wanted to see um on the CDC's database that it has for people. You know, I'm talking a lot of code words right now, but you know, if you have a bad reaction to it, there's a database where they record what your reaction was. Well, I just wanted to see for that age group, you know, down to six months, if anyone had recorded anything, you know, which would indicate that kids are going in and getting it. Well, there's actually, there's a lot of records. They break it down um, in small age categories. So they have the category of six months to 11 months. Um, this is wonder.cdc.gov. So that is the database, which I'm not going to name the popular name for it on YouTube. Um, over the past many months, parents have been recording um, bad reactions that their little kids ages six months to 11 months have had. Now, hey, it wasn't authorized back then. What's going on? Well, this is due to breast milk. Moms were getting the needle. Their kid was nursing that same day and immediately having a bad reaction, the baby would break out in a bad rash. They would have a high fever up to 104 degrees. Um, they would could not stop crying. Um, a lot of the babies lost their appetite after drinking the mom's um, Fauci ouchie milk after she got she got the needle in the arm tons of babies having bad reactions. Now the database said that there was too many. I, I just searched for that age category with the, the new needle for that age category. What are the, uh, what are the um, bad reactions? And the, it says here, the full results are too long to be displayed. So I'm just seeing a few of the results. Who knows what the full results are, but the one page CDC was willing to show me, it was mainly a ton of, uh, breastfeeding associated bad reactions, lots of bad rashes for the babies after their mom got the needle. And I'm not seeing anything about babies themselves getting the needle. So I'm just wondering if, how many parents are really taking their six month old in to get it. Now I searched age one to two on the database from the CDC. And then now we're seeing babies we're seeing age one to two who have got the needle, the new needle technology themselves. And actually there's some really interesting stuff here. So one of the top results, it says here that I, it was last fall that this two-year-old girl, her, her two parents got the needle in the arm. You get that little Band-Aid after you get the needle, right? Well, the parents got the needle, they got the Band-Aid, they get home, they throw away the Band-Aid. Well, the little girl grabbed the Band-Aid. She was like playing with the Band-Aid and she came down with a bad reaction. Um, says, quote, got a hold of bandage and broke out in fever, hives, rash on arms and legs. Um, so the daughter had significant reaction just from touching her parents' Band-Aid that apparently had residue from the new needle. I think that's quite astounding. Um, you know, it looks like she was fine. Just, you know, she, she got sick. But the fact that you can get sick as a baby from touching a Band-Aid that had the new needle technology, what's going to happen to the 
little girl, if you actually stick that needle in her, you know, well, parents are starting to find out. And some of these reactions are very bad. They include death. Again, when I searched ages one to two, the, um, it says again, the full results are too long to be displayed. So it won't even say how many bad, bad reactions there are for this age category. It's just showing me one short page. Uh, and it does include death. Uh, we've got, uh, da, 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 I'm searching through. So we've got age one to two. A child age one to two died, it says. They had increased body temperature, a seizure, and then they died. Um, there are more breastfeeding reactions in this age category as well. A mom feeding her one-year-old um, after getting the needle, and then the baby has a serious health issue. Now, when I scroll down, there was an, there was another... There's actually several cases here of parents. Some of the parents admittedly lied about their child's age in order to get the needle for the, for the baby. So apparently the child was like one year old and they said the child was five and the doctor just went, went and stuck the child with a needle. And then the child had a bad reaction because it was an inappropriate age. There's multiple um, filings for inappropriate age and in in this one case, um, it says extreme hives, facial paralysis. They diagnosed him with the new illness. He had a loss of motor function, confusion, pain, fever, fast heartbeat, heart palpitations, dizziness. They had stuck him in the needle in the right buttocks, it says. So he has all these extreme reactions, including facial paralysis and heart palpitations at age one after being stuck with the new needle. And it's, and, and they're blaming the new illness. The, it, they took the kid in with these reactions and the doctor said, looks, looks like he has the illness. No, it's not a, no, it's not a reaction to the needle. No, he just has the illness. It goes on to say that this child had lasting effects for almost a month later when they filed this, I guess it was a month later and they, and the kids still had these serious effects. So I'm wondering, I, I think these are some of the, the very initial kids who, you know, some parents willingly submitted their children as test subjects in order to get the needle authorized. And I'm wondering if some of these bad reactions gave pause to the CDC, because as you'll recall, they were going to have a meeting to vote for authorization back in February, February, they postponed it for unknown reasons until this month. And now they just authorized it. So I'm wondering if it's because they were starting to see bad reactions and need to reassess the dosage. The, and when they were initially putting a call out for child test subjects down to age six months, I was working at Fox at the time. It was spring 2021. And we get a press release saying, Oh, there's a call out. If you want to get your child as young as six months needled now, you can do that. You can skip the wait. They'll be a part of the trial. And your child will be given one of three dosage sizes. They're trying to figure out how much of this needle juice to uh, stick into you. And so if, if you want your child to help figure that out, your child will be stuck with one of three needle sizes and parents were submitting their kids to that for that. And I'm wondering, um, apparently some kids were having bad reactions and so they, they paused it, but now it is authorized. And this, and uh, the white house in having its press conference today did not mention any of these reactions. They didn't mention that a child has died. And that's just on this first page. The CDC is not showing me the whole list of these reactions. So, uh, they're not, they're not talking. If, if a child dies, you should let people know. I mean, spring of 2021, you guys were hysterical about the fact that two people had had, had, um, blood clots and survived after the Johnson needle. So I, I would say a child death is a bigger deal than a, an adult blood clot where they survive. Let's talk about it. Why aren't you guys talking about this? You know, this child gets a fever 
has a seizure and then dies immediately after getting the needle. I think the public should know about that. But no, instead, I have to go through, search through this complicated, weird database and risk getting my YouTube taken down for talking about it right now. By the way, that's not, that's why the other big YouTube influencers don't talk about this stuff. I dare to talk about it in code words. Um, but this stuff is happening. Parents should be aware that their, your child could die. But yet the White House didn't mention that at all. Dr. Fauci during the press conference today talked about how the fact, yeah, I did catch the illness, knocked it right out easily. I think I'm such an example of how when you get all your needles, you can overcome the illness very easily. So they talked about that. And, and when they were, they were asked how many how many little kids have gotten the needle so far, they didn't have data on that. So who knows if anyone's sending their kid to get that, but if they do send their kid to get that, they should be aware your child may die. Okay. The chances your child dies of the illness, pretty much none, unless your child already has a, a serious issue like obesity or something. Um, Another one of these reactions was um, a child that developed a bad headache. One-year-old with a bad headache after getting the needle goes on to become deaf in one ear. That's another one. These are serious reactions. We should be able to talk freely about this. The White House should have addressed these reactions. A reporter should have been there asking questions about those reactions. But instead, reporters risk losing their jobs if they dare to ask questions about that. Oh, I got into it with my bosses at Fox because I dared to ask questions about these deaths. What the heck is going on in America? It's concerning you guys. And that's why, you know, I keep talking about this, even though I'm not supposed to. And I really want to talk about positive stuff. You know, I know my YouTube's get really negative. Sometimes I, I don't mean to be negative. It's just, there's heavy issues to address that nobody else is you know, none of the mainstream media is talking about. So um, I feel called to talk about that. But I would really like to cover some more positive topics and up- uplift the vibe. I know it gets depressing in America. Sometimes it gets so freaking draining that I can't even do the news. I just need a freaking break from the news like yesterday. So it, it gets heavy on my heart too. And I wish all this chaos was not happening in the world right now. I'm looking at your comments. Thank you guys so much for weighing in, giving your support, um, giving your comments. Thanks for liking, subscribing, and sharing. Um, it's sad that those kids lost their lives, but now is not the time to surrender our guns and throw out the Second Amendment because then we'll, we give all the power to the to the government to enact the tyranny it's been craving to enact. So that's how I feel. Um, Oh, you called, you used to call me fake news when I was on Fox. (laughs) No, I kept it real as I could for sure. I mean, I was, you don't even know how often I was getting into it with my bosses because they wanted me to be a narrative spin machine. But yeah, it's it's ma- mainly fake news over there. Um, I'm looking at your comments. A one-year-old had a seizure after the first dose in in the trial. I shouldn't have said the word dose on YouTube. The the bots pick up everything. It says they still gave a second needle. Per Pierre Corey, who rocks, Doctor Pierre Corey. Wow, it's really sad. Why do, why do they do that? The kid has a seizure. They go on to give them a second needle anyway. What parent is allowing this? Some of these parents, I swear, it's like big pharma is their religion. They trust it so wholeheartedly and they trust doctors so wholeheartedly. Doctors are a glorified web MD, you guys. Doctors don't they don't know. They just memorize some lines and a hot pharmaceutical sales rep tells them what to prescribe the patient. And that's all the doctor is. So we got to snap out of this program. I know America programs us to just trust your doctor and trust big pharma and trust what's on TV. But 
I think most of you guys who watch me get, get that we can't really trust everyone. Okay. I went way too long. I did a whole hour today. Oops. Um, anyway, we'll be, we'll be back for more tomorrow. Um, so tune in then have a good one.